When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Family Brain Podcast. I'm Megan Gibson, and today's episode, I will be talking with Darcy Lockman. Darcy Lockman wrote a book called All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. And a friend of mine told me about this book, and I started reading it, and it kind of made me mad. So just a little warning. The gist, if I were to sum it up from my point of view, is that while the division of labor has come a long way, it has not come as far as we might think or want it to be. And um, she has a ton of research and anecdotes in her book that just kind of highlight how much work still needs to be done in the divvying up of home and uh, sort of the mental load of family life. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I know that people are still sheltering in place and doing all kinds of things related to COVID-19 right now. And I think these are some issues that might be, in some cases, it might be a good time to examine some of these these things about how, how are we doing things and can we share the responsibility of family life in a different way. It, it's sort of a chance to look at it differently. Um, and, and for some, not for all, but if, if you're in that position where you have a chance to sort of reevaluate how you're choosing to do things in your family, this might give you some things to chew on. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on The Family Brain today. Thank you, Megan, for having me. So your book, uh, All the Rage, it's All the Rage, The Myth of Equal Domestic Partnership. Is that correct? All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. Okay, sorry. Um, I have been reading it in chunks because have you heard that that people don't just read right through it because it creates a lot of emotion? (laughs) Have you heard this or no? I have heard that it makes people very angry as they read it. Yes. Um, No one has told me they've chunked it to chunk the anger, but I am not surprised. <laughs> I, yes, I read a little bit and then I, I'm like, okay, I got to put this down, but it's, it's amazing because there's a lot of information in there that sort of helps 
you know, validate some of the feelings we have. Could you talk a little bit about what sort of got you, your, your profession as therapist, but what got you to, to put this all together into a book form? <laughs> Hi, puppy. Um, so, you know, I started getting really frustrated in my own marriage when we had a child. Um, my husband and I met in grad school. We were both doing the same work um, at work but I found that most of the stuff at home really fell to me. And it wouldn't have been what either of us would have said we wanted if someone had explicitly asked us, is one of you gonna do more work at home as you're both working and you have kids? We would have said, of course not. So I couldn't understand that this thing we consciously did not want was playing out so regularly between us and then, of course, I had a lot of friends with young kids at the time, too, and saw that it was pretty much no different for anybody else I knew. So I just kept asking myself, why are we all living this way? Why, you know, why is it still this way? We had these assumptions about how it was going to be, and it's not playing out that way. So what's going on? And that question really just began eating at me, and it became even more prominent after we had our second kid. And finally, I thought, you know, maybe this is a book. Mm -hmm. I used to be a journalist before I went back to school to be a psychologist. So I had those skills. So I thought I would use those skills to really dig into the question of why are we still living this way? Yeah. And I think that one of the things I was talking to one of my friends when, when we were, when we were allowed to walk together um, <laughs> and I was explaining your book and saying, we're smart people. And I'm, I, I think that that's, one of those myths that I had in my own mind, like I'm a smart, educated person. How did I get to this point? Because it seems like with education, you should be able to sort of bat these things away. And that has not been my experience at all. Um, and, and sort of untangling how, how did we get here? Um, and I have a daughter. How do I, and sons, how do we pass a better torch? So I think that we don't realize the impact of being raised under a patriarchy until we are raising our own families. Because, you know, women have achieved more equality in the public sphere than in the private. So because we spend more of our time invested in the public sphere before we have families, we don't realize the impact on the private until there's like more going on there. So, you know, women are surpassing men educationally, there's still a wage gap, which is actually a motherhood gap, economists are finding. Um, but again, like we all get into college or get jobs after graduation. And though we know that women climb the ladder a little slower and things like that, we, there's this sort of impression we have of how much better things have gotten. So, and they have, you know, in many ways. But our conscious attitudes about living in kind of an egalitarian way seem to really be overridden by what we've internalized unconsciously um, about the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the family. Yeah, I, one of the things I'm noticing, so our reality currently when this comes out is going to be that we are in quarantine. And I've noticed some of women, um, I just saw one this morning, oh, I forget who it was, um, a politician talking about her daughter interrupting the FaceTime with like, mommy, can you wipe my butt? And it's just, it's, I mean, we're sort of the go-to people in the home for fixing. And I'm sure there are examples out there where that is not the case, but this is more the typical that women end up being the go-to. Um, and I think that, I guess the reason I brought up the quarantine was just, I wonder if a lot of these issues that we're experiencing are going to be all the more 
highlighted given yeah. this yeah. circumstance. So one of the things that I noticed soon after we started our quarantine was, you know, I was kind of like manically rushing around doing everything because it soothes my anxiety to keep me very busy. Same. But at some point my husband said to me, you know, you, you've been doing everything. Let me, let me, you know, take over. Um, and of course this has been a conversation between us over the years. And obviously I wrote this book, um, but it occurred to me like, because he was home, there was more um, maybe noticing of all mm -hmm. of what was being done. So that, that's the kind of thing that I'm wondering, like, because everyone's home now is the stuff that could be kind of swept under the rug and kept invisible, a little bit less invisible. Mm -hmm. And then is there a chance um, to equalize things more? Yeah. So a lot of people are talking about like women really struggling with this setup because of all the quarantine stuff. But I think it also could go in the other direction where the visibility of it changes and then the, um, the balance of it all changes too. Yeah. I don't know, but I think it's like an, an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, and even the people where I have personally struggled sometimes when people are like, well, I have to work. When you're choosing to be home and taking care of children, that is also work. And so when people are realizing that, okay, now if that caretaker is not there, that's a job. That is work. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. No. Right, that might um, that might hit home a little more. There have been all these memes about how much teacher, how much parents realize teachers should be paid because now mm. that they're doing it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a funny meme. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that 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 stuff actually changes because I think paying women poorly for caretaking is so um, runs so deep in our society, right? Because women, that's their job anyway. Like, why why do you pay for it at all? It's women's job to take care of others, right? They're lucky they get paid at all. Right. <laughs> like, so poorly is better than nothing. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah. There's another meme going around about how um, people are reconsidering uh, when they say, uh, oh, I wish I could stay home all day with my children. Like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> is that really what you want? Uh, you know, I am proud to say I have never said that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, my husband went back into, he has a home office here and he's like, well, I have to go to work. And as he's walking in the door, I'm like yelling at him, we're all working. We're all working. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, and he's like, I know. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's bringing up some issues, bringing up yeah. some issues. Um, well, I just, I mean, so when you were doing all of this research, like how did you, I mean, it's study after study after study talking about the, the unequal shared work at home from all of these different angles. Was there a study in particular or uh, uh, something that you read of all of the things that you shared that really hit home to you that made you like, this is it, you know, cause it's sort of, yeah. there's all these different ways of looking at it. Um, and it's hard to know. I mean, they all make sense to me, but I'm just wondering in your experience, was there one that where you were like, okay, this yeah. is the crown jewel of the, of the work. The one that stood out to me the most um, was the one about how people feel about their division of labor. So what researchers did was they gave out time diaries to dual career heterosexual couples what time diaries are, are, you know, they, they give these people and they ask them to record in 15 minute chunks how they're spending their time throughout the day. So when you look at someone's time diary, you can really tabulate um, how they spend all of their time. So they gave these to couples with kids and then they collected them. So they could look at each couple and see who was doing what percentage of the domestic slash childcare stuff. 
um, they didn't tell the couples in the study what their percentages were. So the couples were blind to the information. Um, so then they went back to the couples after they knew how much work each member of the couple had done and said to them, how do you feel about the division of labor in your home? The women, or I'm sorry, the men who reported the greatest feelings of fairness were doing about 35%. So men who were doing more than that felt it was a little bit unfair. Men who were doing less than that felt it was a little bit unfair, but 35% seemed to be the magic number for men. Maybe it was more like 33%. So that's, um, that's what they felt, not even knowing the tabulation. That's just how they felt about what was going on in their home. The thing that surprised me though was that it, it was the women who were doing about 65% who felt that, the thing, that things were the fairest. So without knowing the numbers, without comparing with their spouse, women also seem to feel that the fairest division of labor is when they are doing two thirds of the work. Mm. So it struck me as so interesting that both men and women just kind of viscerally feel like things are fair when it's divided two thirds to one third. And I thought that says so much about the way we end up living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's, that's the, the celebration point. It almost seems like exactly. right? Wait, that's right. where we're excited and like, I've got a good deal. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I can see how I was just talking to a friend about this and, and again, the, the extra, circumstances we have with the quarantine and, and how you can end up holding on to certain things that are done as cause for celebration. And why is that, you know, why is that, that what, what we're reaching for? Was anybody in your research suggesting how we move away from this? Like, how do we fix this? Fix this? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, we, we live in a world that privileges the, um, needs and comforts of men over women. That's just, that's the water that we swim in. So I don't, you know, quite honestly, on a global scale, I don't know what the fixing it is about. Um, how does, how do we not live in a patriarchy anymore? How do we not just automatically assume that men are better and smarter um, and more deserving? I don't think we can. I mean, I can't, right? Despite all my thinking about it and my consciousness, you know, through reading all this stuff, I realize, like I, and I've heard other women say this too when I brought it up, I will go out of my way to relieve my husband of burdens. And that's not on him. You know, obviously couples create this. It's a dynamic. But there's something about growing up female where you learn that you are supposed to, you know, take care of other people Mm. and that boys are more important. I mean, I don't know what your elementary school or middle school experience was like, but I remember thinking that I should keep my mouth shut and no one ever told me that. I mean, no one ever said to me, you know, you're a girl. Don't like show off too much about what you know. And, you know, right. But, and, and you see this in classroom research too, right? Girls like raise their hand less, they're called on less. So, you know, from such an early age, we internalize all this stuff and it's everywhere. It's not just in the home. So anyway, but the couples that I kind of answer your question, the couples I spoke to who were the most successful in feeling like they had achieved some kind of equality, they were just hyper aware of kind of what the culture leaves us with and how things would go between them if they didn't work really hard to push back against that. Mm -hmm. So I think conscious awareness and like 
hyper communication about who's doing what in your household seems to be the way that the most successful couples managed this. Yeah. So on an individual level, I think that's the only way to change it. Societally, like how do we dismantle patriarchy? That's a bigger <laughs> question than I, that I am able to answer or that anyone is. I mean, people yeah. talk about this obviously quite a lot. So I was reading your book in conjunction with Burnout, oh, Emily Nagalski and her sister, whose name is oh, escaping me at the moment, um, Nagalski Sisters. It's very good. I think it's called Burnout, Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And okay. she was talking about what you're speaking to about calling, a, um, uh, did you call it female giver syndrome or human given giver syndrome? But what you're talking about, about women continuing to just trying to fix it. And, and I'm sure there's evolutionary reasons for that. Like why we're more paying attention to the community and paying uh, attention to, I wanna, you know? I want I want to question the evolutionary part. Please do. Uh, because that makes it seem natural and inevitable. And I yeah. actually do not think it's evolutionary. And this is based on my read, my doing a lot of reading. And there are, yeah, you know, there are people who want to, want to say it's all evolution. In fact, there are, God, there's this evolutionary psychologist who drives me crazy who says that infidelity, male infidelity is an evolutionary advantage. Mm. Um, so like any, we, we could chalk anything up to evolution. And of course we are our biology. It's not like we aren't our biology, but I, I don't know that female caregiving is an evolutionary imperative, at least beca because species that need a lot of um, postnatal care the males and the females are usually both working as are like the communities, right? Mm -hmm. So we see in primates that there is um, a lot of paternal participation when it advantages um, the population. So anyway, but, but please go, I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. So I love it. It's funny because I just, I just read the piece about you interviewing a woman. Uh, I think she was a neurobiologist and you said something about like, cartoon smoke coming out of her nose when you asked her a certain question. Do you remember that part? That's how I feel. Like, it's like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, at it, least Ali, yeah. it helps us to be challenged in our thinking, you know, and to sort of, I think sometimes we lean on these things because it makes us feel more comfortable, but I think sometimes the pushback, it helps us move forward to say, well, let's, let's yeah. unravel that. Like, where does that come from? Why do we think that way? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, there's a chapter in my book that tries to like debunk the biological myth because once we chalk it up to biology, we're saying, well, it just has to be this way, right? I mean, we have to breathe oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm always going to be more in charge. And I, I just, you know, I, I hate to um, fall back on that. It's really questionable. No, I agree. I agree. And I think, um, I think sometimes the part, my struggle is sometimes thinking, well, how much how much energy do I need to expend to continue to push and challenge? And sometimes it just feels easier to just go with it, you know, and just kind of give up. And um, I appreciate books like yours that, that encourage us not to, to like yeah. want better for each other, both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Want better for each other. I like the way you put that. Um, one of the things I really appreciated about your book too, is that you, you talk about heterosexual couples and you also talk about same sex couples. And I think, so much of this um, can end up being a conversation just about heterosexual couples. And I appreciate the fact that you sort of bring in other family examples and talk about how, how that, I, from my personal experience, it's still, it's still work, right? It's still, it's still figuring out the balancing of, of, but it, it, from what you wrote about, it's same sex women tend to have a better experience. 
There is a small body of research that suggests that of all gendered configurations of couples, lesbians co-parent most harmoniously, Mm. which makes some sense based on all the reading I did, because, you know, we grow up, we girls grow up learning to think about the needs of others um, and, and about making other people happy and stuff like that. So, and boys are encouraged really to think about their own agency and their own imperatives. So if you have two women living together who've both grown up in the same kind of culture, encouraging them to think about others, you can see why that would go better. Mm-hmm. And it, it was funny because one of the gay male couples I interviewed, one of the men said to me, well, you know, we have the same um, problem that everyone else has with um, considering, you know, each other's needs and mutuality. And I thought that's so funny because that's actually a specifically male problem. So I could see how you know, in a gay couple that might, and I don't, I clearly can't make blanket statements like that. But when he said that to me, I thought, well, yeah, I could see why, you know, lesbians might be a little less likely to have that problem. Not that it wouldn't be right. This is all hard stuff. Um, But yeah, so, so I felt like it was a good um, kind of comparison group, heterosexual couples and gay couples to see how they manage it. And Part of the advantage of being a gay couple is that the gender roles are not well-defined, so that necessitates more communication. Mm-hmm. Um, heterosexual couples tend to communicate less because the assumptions are a little bit um, broader and like just kind of more unspoken. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm almost wondering, too, if same-sex couples have probably already had to push, right, outside of the boundaries of what what was sort of set up for them and their family. They already had to say, no, actually, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this other thing. And so maybe there's sort of a, a, a maybe resiliency, I guess, to call things out. Like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this other way. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> so what, um, what other things have you, are there other people speaking out about this topic that you, you um, have learned from in the process of your own research? Um, you know, there are a ton of people who I interviewed for the book and I felt like I learned a lot from all of them. Um, someone who I have been in touch with who wrote a book, more of a how-to manual of how to divide things up is, um, Eve Rodsky, whose book Fair Play has has been kind of all over the place. So the two of us have been, um, chatting and trying to figure out kind of what, what we might do together. Um, but you know, there are other people who write about division of labor, academics, um, I think the probably the the references in my in my book would be a good guide to a lot of people who've done this research because I I tried to talk to people in sort of every academic field that touches on this. Um, who else have I read on it? There there's some good parenting columns in the New York Times. Um, Jessica Gross I think touches on a lot of these issue, issues. Um, so it's, it's all it's kind of all over if you want to look for it in smaller mm-hmm. bits and bites. I still remember when I took my first sociology course and what it was probably 1994 and I read that book second shift and yeah. my mind was just blown. I mean, because yeah. I had never, I had never read anything like that, that talked about yeah. how do we break down what people do and how we, because we're just sort of served it up. Like, here you go. Here's what you got. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, she was really, it's Horchild? Is that her name? Arlie Hochschild. Yeah. Hochschild. That's a, right. Arlie Hochschild. It's a great book. It's one of the first things I read when I started. Um, yeah. It, it, she, I, I tried to interview her. She was too busy. She had a new book and she was on tour, but I definitely, mm-hmm. I relied on her work for um, yeah. get me started. Well, that's why I'm so grateful for you and for other people in this space, because I think it's just that reminder that the way we're feeling or the things we're thinking, you're not crazy. 
Like this is actually yeah. happening, you know, and it's, it's yeah. easy, even if you read, read, read to kind of forget and you just kind of get back to your life. Yeah. And I feel like we need books like this to kind of light that fire again to say, no, like we can do better. We can do this differently. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I wrote the book that I wanted to read, you mm -hmm. know, it was like a book. I wanted to write the book that would have really helped me when I was in that position with young kids. And I know a lot of people's partners will say to them, you're crazy. This is not true. I do a lot. I mean, I've heard this from woman after woman and their husbands weren't intentionally or partners weren't intentionally gaslighting them, but it does make you feel crazy. Well, he doesn't think there's anything going on. I guess it's just me. And that's the place that a lot of women end up. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to provide some sense of like, you're not alone and you're not crazy and look at how complicated this is. It's so complicated. And I love that it opens up the space to have conversations with other people, your peer group, like other people going through this. So it's not like your dirty little secret that, that it's not always perfect and Instagram yeah. shiny and clean, you know? It's, and, and with your partner too, because something that people who have read the book have said to me, and I hope this would be the case was for both men and women, when they read it together, they were much better able to like work together on this stuff when no one was to blame. Because really, I think, you know, the, the social forces are so like to blame, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so the onus of responsibility is really lifted off the martyr mother or the lazy um, inattentive father, right? Those can be like stereotypes, but really everyone's kind of just playing the part that they've learned to play. Mm -hmm. So I had people say to me, you know, it's been so much easier to talk about this stuff now that we just realize it's not us, it's our culture and we can do something different if we want. Yeah. So that was, um, that was something that I hoped to offer and it's been nice to hear. Yeah, no, it's, 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 and I, I, I'm going to challenge myself to do better to incorporate my husband in that process, because I think what ends up happening is I read it and then I just come out with my new, I'm going to, I'm going to do this differently and sort of make more, um, kind of call out what I'm seeing more without him kind of a part of that process of him. He doesn't know what's happening. He's like, what's going on? What, what she sat down and read yeah. a book and then she got up and something different started happening. And so including him more in the process is a great idea. I, I had women tell me they were following their husbands around the house, reading passages aloud. Oh, so, gosh. but that's not what I recommend. I would recommend <laughs> that he, that he read it. Yeah. Um, one of my big hesitations about having a pink cover, which of course is not really, I mean, my, it's not really my choice. Um, though of course I, I can say, but like, that's what the publishing house recommended. That's what yeah. they're, what they know about. So I'm not going to fight too much about that, but I thought, Oh God, but if it's pink, men aren't going to read it. And men really need to read this too. Yeah, no, I think that any woman, I, I will, I will put it in front of my husband and I'll see what happens. I, I like the idea of even just presenting pieces of it anyway. Well, is there anything else that you were hoping I would ask you about, or that we would talk about that I haven't asked you about? Um, let's see. I don't, th I don't think so. Um, I, I, you have a lot of good questions. I don't know. Was there anything else that you wanted to know about? I mean, I could talk to you every day and ask okay. you questions for sure. Well, you <laughs> Your book is very packed. I will say it's so packed with resources and information and I really, really enjoy. And I think that's why I chunk it because I am like, I just want to be able to fully absorb every piece of it. Um, but it's, it's really a gift to people, I think, who are struggling with how to figure this out and make sense of this world we find ourselves in right now. 
I hope it's also a good read. I don't want it to sound too dry and academic. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. That's why I like the little vignettes and the stories of talking to people. And, you know, I love it. It's great. No, it's, it's, uh, I appreciate the data also with the stories. I, Cause I think sometimes if yeah. it's just stories, it doesn't, well, what is she, is she just making this up? You know, it's nice to have both. Right. I think. Yeah. I think there was a yeah, very was good, balance. To get a good balance. I wanted to yeah, I, read, I interviewed a lot of women in addition to the studies to make it like a good read and also put in my own personal stuff, um, which is, which I, that's the kind of writing I like doing. So it's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I could have kept doing that research for years. I just, and, and stuff came out after <laughs> the book came out and I was like, oh, this should have been in here. I'll tell you, this is one thing you didn't ask me about. Megan, you should have asked me. No, I'm just okay. Um, what studies came out after the book that you would have loved to include? <laughs> that was just <laughs> on the tip one. of my tongue. <laughs> I'll just tell you one. So I got all these like emails um, after I actually wrote a New York Times op-ed when the book came out, which one often does, um, kind of like as book publicity. And it was called What Good Dads Get Away With. Um, and it was kind of a little bit of an excerpt from the book. So after that, I got emails from men saying, you don't take into account all the work I do on the car and in the yard, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I got these emails and I thought, oh, you know, that's interesting because I live in New York City. Uh, we don't have a yard. Mm. We barely have a car. Um, so I guess, yeah, my husband doesn't do those things. So um, that's interesting, you know, and those things obviously are things that can be done kind of whenever, like the kids need to eat three times a day. The laundry has to be done twice a week. Like you can kind of rake the lawn anytime. It's not a right. Anytime you have time. Anyway, not to dismiss these men, but a study came out that showed that looked at, um, men's contribution to household tasks. And they found that urban men who don't have lawns or cars contribute no more inside the home than men who do have cars and yards. So it was just kind of funny that men who don't have those things don't compensate for not having to do them by picking up more around the house. Yes. <laughs> I liked that study. I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too surprised. You weren't missing too much. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I, I think it's kind of a cool thing to, to question, like if the urban environment, and I don't know, maybe this is my own um, thought process, but I think people who are in urban environments, like Maybe they don't want to deal with all of that stuff. Like, is that part of That's why? Part of why you have it? Yeah, I mean, I, right now, right now, Megan, I'd kill for a yard. I'm but, sure. Uh, I'm sure. No, I don't think that. I don't think that's why we chose our urban environment. <laughs> but when in one, so yeah, I, I just thought that was that came out. I think that study came out like a month after my book was published. I was like, oh, I got to include that in the paperback because there was time to add stuff, but I ended up not because you know life. Yeah. No, I. I well, I bet your eye will always be trained for now until eternity to these things, right? It always is. And my friends still send me stuff all the time. They'll be like, oh, did you see this article? So yeah, I don't, I don't think I miss um, too much of that. Yeah. Um, so my last question for you is what is something that you do to just sort of keep yourself feeling balanced as we juggle all of these things, like the home front, your work, all of that? Is there some, some sort of practice that you make sure you try to stick with? I know it's kind of a weird time right now and it's hard to stick with our practices, but is there anything you really hold on to as something that you do for yourself? Uh, I like, I guess I, I feel like I have a lot of kind of a lot of free time because um, I don't, because I'm self-employed, I don't work, I don't really work 40 hours a week. 
So I have, you know, I'm a therapist. I'm in my office three days a week and I'm home two days a week for to write, but I'm not writing so much right now. So I just have, I have time to take a bath. I have time to like do what I need to get done when none of the, when the kids aren't around. So I kind of feel like my schedule allows me a lot of luxuries. Um, so I don't have to work too hard to make sure I'm kind of okay in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, I've been trying to, I guess, make my make sure I ask more of my husband because um, I know that's not my tendency. Um, and I think he tries to make sure he's paying more attention because he knows that's not his. So those things are useful. I don't know. Right now... I think because of the homeschooling could feel so grueling. My um, and it's just started this week, but my kind of uh, ethos—is that the right word? Or my goal is just to like make it be as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, just someone said, you know, if the kids aren't learning much in the next couple of months, that's okay. And I'm just kind of holding on to that because I think it could just get to be too much. So I guess I try not to push things to any kind of limit because it's not worth it emotionally. How's that? That's wonderful. I am in the same ballpark. I keep, I just posted something about like lowering the bar and we, there was that, that friends thing of like Ross being like lower, lower, just keep pushing it down lower, lower, because it's just all too much. It's all too much. And just, I think for me, I sort of tend towards the type A side of things. My sisters would laugh. They're like, no, you're the, the person in the picture of the book of the type A person. But it's nice to feel like, no, we don't need to do it that way. We can do it in a much less um, uh, intense way. So, Yeah, let's make it easier on ourselves. And that's yes. probably a good, lowering the bar is probably uh, never a bad idea. Um, I'd rather we're just all kind of relaxed and enjoying ourselves and each other's company as much as we can um, yes. right now. But maybe that could just be like how things were all the time. Yeah. Maybe it's something we can carry over. I saw yeah. something too about um, having your top goal for your children, um, making this not a childhood trauma. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's what I keep trying to remind myself. Let's not make this a childhood trauma. And if we don't learn any more yeah. math, that's okay. You know, but that's yeah. sort of where I yeah, am. I think yeah. I, I totally endorse that position as yeah. both a therapist and a human being. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you and I am loving your book. So do you have another book coming or is that like the most annoying question? No, it's not annoying at all. The paperback of this comes out in May. Oh, good. Um, And then I'm working on a book and I'm in the early stages of the proposal and I'm not getting much done these days, Mm. (laughs) but it's about, it's actually about like what therapists see. So the working title is what we see. Oh, that's Um, great. Kind of related to like the cultural moment. Right, because yeah. the cultural a moment, the cultural moment kind of impacts how we frame pathology and health, and like, so what do we see in our offices, and how does that reflect where we are in the world? That's that's what I'm where, where I am right now. That just gave me chills. I would totally read that book. That's exciting. Oh, good. I love well, I that. I think it's going to be a few years, but <laughs> well, if you ever need encouragement, yeah, I'll just do this. It's. I think that's. It's really interesting to oh, me. So it's just kind of an aside, but I'm I. I am studying for a social work test and I'm reading all this stuff. It just is nonsense. Just stuff that's just nobody, it's not relevant to what therapists actually do. And I think there's this whole 
mystique. Oh, so you mean like the licensing exams? Yes. It's, I, I get oh, a yeah. lot of them wrong because I'm like, this is a dumb question. It just doesn't make any sense of what, oh, yeah. how you would actually be with another human. Um, and I think that there's so much interest in what that experience is like. And I think it, it would be cool for therapists, but also for people coming in for therapy to understand a little bit more about what the real experience is like and, and how it does yeah. change over time. Um, so yeah. I think that sounds great. Agreed. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And I will um, put links to all of your book information. Is there anywhere else people can learn more about you if they want to find out more about you and your book? Um, I have a website, DarcyLachman.com, which is really just all about the book. Um, but otherwise, no, I mean, I'm bare, I'm not like a social media mm-hmm. person except with my, you know, with my friends. So you yeah. can't really learn about my book. I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't really tweet too much. It's I would of, say actually the best way to I learn about you I've is never gotten used to the format. So no, they yeah. should, you can read my book, buy it at an indie bookstore that's closed. <laughs> yes. You <laughs> can learn a lot about Darcy from her book. Important. You'll learn everything you need to know about you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you, Megan. That's and right. your husband exactly. and your kids. Yeah. Well, thank you <laughs> so much. And um, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. And if you'd like to join our Family Brain community, you can check us out on Facebook or Instagram, Family Brain Podcast. And I'd love to let you know that we are going to be, we, I am going to be recording some episodes coming up and we have a sponsor, OWC, Otherworld Computing. I'll share more about that when this series begins about um, how people are managing COVID-19. And what I'll be doing is bringing back some past guests and some new guests to talk about what they are seeing in their own community and their own industry with their own clients as it relates to the changes we've all had to experience um, due to COVID-19. So if you have any thoughts on people who should be a guest on the show, feel free to reach out to me on the website, or you can always leave a message on Instagram or Facebook, and I will get that message and see if that person would like to come and talk to me. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.